Ruskin. So this is my part two interview with Tiara. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much for being patient with, um, with our technical difficulties. And this is a wonderful interview. I hope you really enjoy. I believe we just jump right into 2016 and activism and being disabled while wanting to be an activist. I, I really hope you enjoy this. <laughs> um, and please go to our show notes. Uh, Tiara is amazing. And if you can help, there's a Patreon, I believe, for Tiara. Um, also, follow Tiara on Twitter. Absolutely fantastic Twitter feed. Um, and also, if you want to be really kind to our show, we do have our own Patreon. So if you can and you're able, we really do appreciate your support. We are <laughs> totally nonprofit. So we uh, even I pay for everything out of pocket, and that's a little brutal for, for us. Um, so if you can, just head over to our Patreon. Um, we keep everything for free. This is just you being really nice to us and supporting the show. If you can't support us financially, if you would be willing to send these shows on out to your friends and family and um, your groups, that is wonderful. We've just hit over 100,000 downloads, so I cannot tell you how humbled and grateful that makes us. That is all you guys. We do not advertise yet on this show. So that um, that reaches all because you've seen that you really love the show, or at least you find it interesting enough to share with friends. So thank you so much, and please enjoy the interview. See you next week. On the other side, and you're listening to this, I, I thanks for listening, I guess. But um, 2016 <laughs> made us all advocates. Like, we all, like, even those of us who are, like, I'm a librarian-ish, like, introvert, and I don't ever, like, want confrontation. I mean, like, it was such a fucking wake-up. I would hope that 2016 made everyone advocates, but as I have been seeing online and reading the media news articles and opinion pieces, that's not necessarily the case. It's not. You're taking away my little scraps of hope here. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm um, digging your tattoo. I had not seen that before. I love your tattoo. Yeah, I have six. Awesome. I have this one, the Triluna. Oh, and then you know, I think like there's something about those of us with disabilities tattoo. It's like it's the one thing we can control in our bodies. Like I love tattoos. They don't even hurt. I have I'm one on the back of my neck, but I'm covered from neck to tailbone and my wrists and my forearms. I'm going to get a whole sleeve when I can, but yeah, nothing else on my body actually does what it's supposed to do. So I just figure I better like pull it all together. <laughs> Once you become a parent, but then also, but also um, just other things like Yes, last night, or I guess early this morning, um, you know, I, I was having my moments. He wouldn't stop crying. He wouldn't stop fussing. I had just fed him. I burped him and he wouldn't calm down. So I had to wake my husband up and I felt so bad about that because he had to go to work at like three, four o'clock this morning. He works really strange hours. So I was trying to let him get his rest because I'm home all day. I'll sleep when the baby sleeps or I'll try. <laughs> That's the I'll most beautiful try. myth I've ever heard. Sleep. That is a fairy tale I can never accomplish. Maybe you only sleeps an hour at a time. No. Um, but, and I, I had a moment and, you know, we're sitting in the bed. He's holding the baby, trying to like calm him and, I'm just sitting in my spot on the bed with like my forehead in my hands like this. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just pump. 
I can at least do that right. Like I couldn't keep the baby calm. I couldn't keep him quiet. I couldn't keep him sleep. And then I was pumping. And then for some reason, for the last couple of days, I hadn't been pumping the same volume of milk. You know, um, I was just getting an ounce or two, basically just enough for one meal. But I like to try to have more than one meal in a pump session because it makes it easier for me, especially. You That's know? Like, seriously good advice for disabled moms. Like there's, there's like life hacks that you can do. <laughs> and like, I feel like this one of the life hacks is like life hack number like one. extra stuff. Like the You're disabled mom. The um, multitasking is like one thing. And then multitasking, because like just being disabled, at least from my experience, like being disabled is a constant multitask. Like that's a program that's always running is the disability program. And then then you add on the parenting program onto the disability program and then the wife program onto all of that. And it's like, I had a meltdown this weekend. I had like a full on like meltdown and my husband's like, I kind of had a mini one and I try to hide it because he doesn't like to see me in that kind in that situation. Like, you know, tears and crying, like he hates it. And I'm not really trying to protect his mental health at all, but I don't want him to worry either because he, he does worry about me when he starts to cry because he doesn't see me cry. Yeah. Like, I'm not that person. Apparently, I'm not that person. I think I am. A, I'm a big crybaby. Whatever. Um, I guess it's just what I let people see. And so last night, we're sitting there and the baby's just crying, crying, crying. You know, my husband's getting up. He's walking around the apartment trying to get him to calm down. And I'm like, you know what? Let me at least pump because I barely just fed him the last of his meals that I had, like, because I was only pumping one meal at a time. And I was, I was angry about that because by day two in the hospital, day two of life, I was already pumping actual milk. Oh my gosh. Tell, like, talk to me about the situation in the hospital. Like the, when you're tweeting out like what the nurses are saying, I was like, <laughs> if I lived closer, I would go down and help advocate for you. Like I can't oh, yes, you the advocating started the moment I found out that I was pregnant way, way back in February when I found out I was pregnant because I knew at that moment, you know, oh crap, I'm gonna be a disabled mom. Oh crap, I'm gonna be a disabled black mom. And <laughs> With that comes the knowledge that infant and maternal mortality rates are incredibly high. Even here in California, where we're so progressive on everything, it's still very high. The last um, years I read were like 30%. Three to four times chance. higher than white women. Um, and I don't know the number against when you compare it to Latina women or other ethnicities. And I knew that, okay, like it was just all at once it hit me back in February, like, wow, I'm going to be in the healthcare system even more than I am now. At least now I only go, you know, well, before, you know, pregnancy, before being, um, I would only be involved in it, you know, if there was an emergency, otherwise screw you doctors, or I would keep up with my regular appointments because I need to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And I found out I was pregnant and I had my first, <laughs> I love I my first, one of my first appointments and it kind of hit me that, oh snap, medical racism exists. Massage noir exists. Um, 
disableism exists and you're about to go into this as a pregnant woman a black pregnant woman who already gets discriminated against for the sake of being black and a woman and now you're disabled and pregnant and people do not appreciate or they do not want disabled folks to procreate is a fundamental right according to the constitution and case law but it's not a right that many people like to acknowledge that we have you know um and a lot of that i did some research a while back um for a paper that i was writing for school called race gender and disability abbreviated title and i found a lot of these cases that made me say wow what like they really just do not appreciate the agency that disabled women have disabled women people with uteruses who can get pregnant have and it floored me um there was a woman uh recently passed and she was the first person that i learned about that was a, a, an advocate a legal advocate she was a lawyer um for disabled parents whose children were taken away and that also hit me because it was like wait snap stop stop playing you can take my child away because i'm disabled and so i ended up getting an externship an internship with a local um nonprofit legal aid type agency it wasn't legal aid but uh i worked for this agency and they have so many different departments but i worked in the department that worked that placed foster kids in their adoptive home and I remember asking them like, yeah, well, you know, they're going to take my kid away because I'm disabled. And they said, no, one of my supervisors was just like, no, that's not how it works. Um, it won't be because you're disabled, not on paper. On paper, it'll be because best interest of the child on paper, but you'll know what the real reason is. And so I started doing my research and I found so many cases where or stories where you know the parent or parents are disabled and the social worker reports them um for basically not being able to parent the child um, one woman was blind or she had cp and her child was temporarily taken away and she had to fight to get the child back and I think it was because she took too long to change the diaper or she took too long to, she wasn't, she had to pick something up and she wasn't able to pick it up like the bottle or something. It was something really trivial that, you know, you don't even think twice about. And so as I got closer and closer to my due date, which again, he came early, so he did what he wanted to do. But as I got closer and closer to the date, like I started to think about that a lot more. I started to think about all the ways that they can argue me being a parent is not in the best interest of the child and going to law school and learning the different ways that they can word things. It really helped. Um, so I did everything that I could while I was pregnant um, to show that I'm perfectly capable besides the fact that I'm married to an able-bodied man. Like, but that didn't even seem to matter in one of those cases. In one of the cases that I read, it didn't even matter that she was married um to an abled guy um it didn't matter so i did all these parenting classes and i signed up for this and i signed up for that and you know and i did that workshop and 
this workshop and you know through the hospital but then i did one through the uh the, the long beach health and human services they have another one and i did and i'm still enrolled with them and just doing whatever i can to show like i mean business so now we're at the uh now my water broke five o'clock in the morning i'm asleep <laughs> and i'm like no <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, I know I didn't just pee on the bed. I don't pee on the bed. I didn't have a pee the bed dream. What's going on? You know those dreams that you have, that people have where they may or may not dream one thing and it results in them peeing the bed. It happens. And I was like, I know it didn't just happen because I still have to use the bathroom. And I got up, I was getting up to use the bathroom and it was still gushing. And I was like, and my husband sits up and he was like, what happened? And I was like, baby, I think my water just broke. <laughs> maybe and so i get a towel and we're you know i'm like testing the bed like hmm, let's smell it <laughs> like does it smell like urine or not no it doesn't smell like urine oh is there supposed to be blood oh my god <laughs> it wasn't a lot of blood it was just like is there supposed to be is it supposed to be tinted with blood i, I don't know if this is supposed to be happening but you know whatever let me just go to the bathroom anyway and you know i had him call the hospital and because I was high risk, mm -hmm. very high risk um, for the fact that I am disabled. And then because there were some complications during the pregnancy as well with him, with Bean, um, he had some heart trouble. So he calls the hospital and usually they don't want to see you until you are, your contractions are like, until you're ready to really push. They don't want to see you. But they said, okay, she's high risk, come on in. They checked me out. Like, yeah, your water broke, okay. Hooked me up to the fetal monitor. And while I'm hooked up to the fetal monitor, they're, they're looking at it from their computers at the nurse's station and they realized he's not doing too well. He's not enjoying being out of the water. cozy place that he had, his water bed. And so he started having heart decelerations. Oh. Um, right. And so, because they, since, since April, they have been telling me, no, you're going to have a vaginal birth. And I, and I've been telling them since April, no, nah, I think I'm going to have a C-section. And they said, nope, it's going to be vaginal. And I was like, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> and they're like, well, why do you want a C-section? It's major surgery. And I'm like, I don't want the C-section, but I also know my body and I'm trying to tell you that according to my body, this is gonna be a C-section. So you might as well go over all the pros and cons with me now. Yeah. What to expect, like go over that. So they're like, nope, it's gonna be a vaginal birth. Even through week, um, what week was it? I think it was like week 34, 30, 33, 34. Nope, it's gonna be a vaginal. Okay, if you say so. And lo and behold, he's not doing great outside of the waters we're gonna have to do a c-section no way really like i didn't know this <laughs> no um so that's what ended up happening so of course they had one point of reference i should add that in they had one point of reference four years ago they had a, a quadriplegic mom 
And so every time I brought up a concern, they kept saying like, yeah, we had a mom like you before. She was a quadriplegic. She may have been an amputee. Who knows? They call amputees quads. My limbs move. I'm still considered a paraplegic. Wow. <laughs> whatever. Okay. That's, yeah, that's whatever. If that helps you understand me. Yeah, if that helps you understand me, then whatever. So now it's, you know, it's going on seven o'clock. They're, you know, I'm a very hard stick. They're trying to catch a vein, find a vein to do the IV. Um, they're having difficulty. And the anesthesiologist is in there. She wants to have a neuro consult about the epidural that I want to get. I asked them, I said, how soon can I get the epidural? They said, as soon as you want it. I said, okay, I want it. <laughs> Just in case. I want it. And they said, okay. So the anesthesiologist found a vein for the IV, finally. And now she's ready to do the epidural in my back, but she wants to have a neuro neuro neurology consult. And in my head, this is not what I should be thinking, but in my head, I'm like, wow, I'm in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> You know, they just need like the like what Snow Patrol to like start their music and <laughs> it's okay. My husband had his phone. <laughs> no, it was like an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Like they had, she wanted to get the neuro consult, and then these students who I presume were students kept coming in, and then you had like three or four nurses over here. We're not in the operating room; we're in the delivery room still, um, where I was supposed to deliver. And you have this person, and then you had um phlebotomy come in to try to take blood for my um admitting labs because every single time you get admitted it could be three times in that week you got admitted three different times they still want to draw blood so she's over there trying to draw her blood and then the anesthesiologist is talking is, is checking my thigh my inner thigh because she wants to get the iv in maybe you know in the groin area and i'm like what the heck like what is going on here? <laughs> what is going on here? And I'm just sitting, and then I had another nurse come in. She's like, she, 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 she zooms in and she's like, okay, things are going to start moving really fast now. And I know you have a lot of questions, but just don't ask them. Just do what they say. And I'm like, okay. oh shit, things just got serious. Holy crap. This is happening. Not the way I expected it, but wow. And my husband is sitting over on the side and then another nurse comes in and she's like, okay, you're going to take these swaps and you're going to stick them in your nose and you're going to do it three times in each nostril. And, um, it's to take care of, I don't even know what it was for, to be honest. I don't even know, but we just did it. And then, so my husband is like, I have the IV in one hand, so I can't really, so my husband is sticking basically cotton swabs that smell like citrus fruit up my nose <laughs> in each nostril. And I'm just laying there like, what is going on? And then she's like, okay, now you're going to drink this. It tastes like oranges or it tastes like whatever it was going to taste like plus chalk. And it's to settle your stomach because we're going to cut you open and you might get, you might get nauseous. And so something about stomach acids and I'm like, sure, whatever. Took the shot of whatever it was still in the delivery room. Now we finally get the IV in anesthesiologist wants a neuro consult and the only reason why she wants a neuro consult is because I'm disabled because I'm an amputee and so apparently the measurements for the medications and I don't know she didn't explain it I didn't ask and then so my doctor comes and she goes do you really want a neuro consult 
And I said, I mean, she said I needed one. And she goes, let's put it like this. We need to get this baby out of you. And it's going to take neurology at least 30 minutes just to come down here, then do the consult. And then she has to do, then we get everything started. And I said, she goes, I don't think you need the consult. She goes, it's just an epidural. And I was like, yeah, but I can get paralyzed. And she goes, the only reason she wants the consult is because you're an amputee. So she's thinking because you have, I also have a dog. <laughs> I was wondering, like, that did not sound like, I mean, I know babies and that's not. <laughs> yeah, I also have a dog. Right. <laughs> Husband just came home. And so she's like, yeah, it's only because you're an amputee. So she's thinking that the measurements for the medications are going to be different, like whatever. I'm like, well, in that case, no, let's just go through with it. Let's just do this for, you know, Bean's own good. And um, so we get in there and it's a room of women. No, there's a couple of men. There's a student or a resident. This is why I said it's Grey's Anatomy. Because the one of the my husband just Worthy walked in. Experience. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he has a lot to say about that. <laughs> as soon as he heard Grey's Anatomy, he knew exactly what I was talking about. Um, and the guy is in there, and he's so lost, and love he doesn't <laughs> love you too. <laughs> and he's not so directed to me. <laughs> <laughs> no. And the medical guy that was—I don't know if he was like a, a intern, a student a resident i don't know maybe he was on his rounds because you know how they they do they have to do the different departments before mm -hmm. they clear their specialty i don't know what was going on but i know that he didn't understand the fact that i could not just stand up and get onto the operating table and oh my god <laughs> and so I'm on, the, I'm on the gurney i'm on the gurney and they're asking me, can you transfer onto the operating table or do you need help? Oh my God, that hurt. <laughs> That's hard. It's like when you wheel up somewhere and they're like, have a seat, ma'am. And you're like, but like Already a thousand times worse. <laughs> and so he's there. And so I was like, listen, I can transfer myself because they wanted to get a lift team in there. That's like a team of people who will just basically like lift you up. And I am very scared because I have been dropped several times in the past. So I have this paranoia about people lifting me. I've also been dropped downstairs. So yeah. And this is where even just being able like being alert even when you need to be focused on one thing, you need to be focused on everything else around you. So I'm getting onto the operating table. I'm, I'm sliding over and I'm not completely on the operating table and I'm still kind of leaning on the gurney that I came in on. And the guy, the student or resident begins to move the gurney. All of a sudden I feel it start moving and I'm like, whoa, I'm not done yet. And he goes, oh, I thought you were there. And I was like, no, why would you move it before I even tell you that I'm, I'm good? And so my doctor is there because I look at her like, lady, you going to have this guy in here with me? And so she's like, no, just wait for her signal. Just, just, just wait for her signal. So he, he starts moving it again. But this time it's to put it back into position. 
it had only moved about an inch, but sometimes an inch is all you need to like fall. Mind you, I'm pregnant and Bean is not doing well and we're trying to hurry up and get this done. And so he puts the brakes on. And I'm like, yeah, put the brakes. And then so he's holding it and I'm like, he's like, I'm holding it so it doesn't move. And I'm like, put the brakes on. <laughs> he's like, he's going to be a doctor. You know, the, if anything's taught me the last few years and then being disabled in the medical system, doctor does not necessarily mean bright. Like, <laughs> doctor doesn't necessarily mean disabled woke, trademark. Um, yes, and uh, I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Um, that and so, Super Crip. I want Super Crip as a t-shirt as well. That, that was fantastic. I have I that one too. Says four wheel bitch. Oh, yes. Hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so he's he, he puts the brakes on and i finally get on this table and then like i scoot and this time i do take my time now i'm being petty um but not too much time <laughs> because we gotta get being out and i'm like okay now you can move the gurney just like that eyes and all now you can move the gurney so they come in they're ready to do the epidural and the doctor's like, okay, my OB, she's like, okay, this is how it's going to go. You're going to lean over the chair. They're going to bring in the thing that looks like the back of a chair and you're going to lean over that. And then this is what's going to happen. And that's what's going to happen. So they do that. And I'm trying to do her instructions, but the anesthesiologist is like, do this, do that, lean this way. And I'm just like, okay. She's like, now sit still. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to feel this? Is it going to hurt? She goes, it's going to pinch and it's going to burn a little bit. Pinch. Okay. <laughs> when they said pinch, what they meant to say was bloody hell. He stabbed through the back with a needle about that long. Yeah. And when they, when they said burn, they meant to say like acid. Yeah. Well, that sounds yeah. much more accurate. I'm trying to like catch the light because I noticed that it got a little bit dark on my end. Like, uh, yes. That's uh, okay. that pinch, so they, like, and they called my contractions angel hugs, and I'm not kidding. The nurse actually called the contractions angel hugs. Get out. No, I'm, I'm so like, we, we were in distress. My daughter and I were distressed too. We were on oxygen. They were desperately trying to get her out. And I had like one nurse on one side screaming at me. I was killing my daughter. And I had the other nurse on the other side going, no, no, it's angel hugs. And I'm like, I don't know which one of you is going to die, but one of you is going down. Like, <laughs> as soon as this kid is out of me. And I, I can stand. Cannot, like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Yeah. Like, I feel all the medications. Like, I can feel like my body's start, starting to numb, and then my legs go dead, and then I'm like, okay. Then they do the catheter, and I'm just like, oh wow, this this is a lot. They put the sheet up to you know. They put yeah. The sheet so up. you don't see your intestines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would have been cool though. <laughs> See, we are in two different minds on that one. Nope, don't want to. Mm -mm. I'm trying to remember if they, I think they asked me if I wanted the sheet. I don't even, I think they gave me the option to have the barrier and I took the barrier. Now that I think about it, that would have been kind of cool to like actually see. Okay, you are a different level there. Yeah, I'm also that person who watches um, autopsies on YouTube. So there you go. Okay. I thought I was going to go into forensic. I thought I was going to be a CSI and whatever. I'm here for that. I, I'm all for that. Go for it. I don't want to see any of that. 
I figured if I was going to have a career at some point, either as a, a, a forensic psychologist or a CSI or whatever, you know, working in the police department, then I was going to have to be seeing things like that. So whatever. But yeah, my legs are numb now. And now that I feel all this moving around and poking and prodding. It doesn't hurt. So now fast forward and they get him out. He's okay. He's not okay. Not breathing. Oh my God. I mean, I know babies don't breathe as soon as they come out the womb. I mean, I'm not that ignorant. Um, But his not breathing went on a little bit longer than I think it should have gone. We take him out. They don't put him directly onto my chest. That's how I know something is not right. Yeah. And they rush him over to the other side of the operating room to the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, they didn't put him on my chest. That's something happened because they told me the only time they won't do that is if something is wrong. Yep. We don't immediately call my husband over and he's still not crying. And it's been more than a minute and it's been more than two minutes. Oh my God. I just working on it three. And finally I hear him cry. He lets out a very weak, but it's a cry. Okay. And then it goes silent again. And then everything was okay. And then it happens again. But I don't really know what's going on because I'm more focused on the guy who tried to throw me off the gurney because he's the one sewing me back up. Not the OB who cut me open. Yeah. He is. And she's giving him step-by-step instructions. And I can hear the instructions. That is so you want someone just to know. Like I can hear her give him instructions. Like, okay, so normally we would sew it up like this. However, this is how we're going to do it now. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't want to hear you learning on my body. I I don't even have words for that one. I'm just going to let that just be there. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to hear you learning on my body. And I think I kind of like whispered to my husband a little bit, like, she instructed him. He was like, he leans over. He was like, I was like, is he the one sewing me up? And he leans over. He goes, yeah. And I was like, you know, it's already such a thing with like disabled bodies, or I don't know if you have this experience, but a lot of us like we're already guinea pigs. Like we're already like something that like they are experimenting on, or they're grabbing like their colleagues to come in and go like, "Oh my God, I can't believe this! Look at this!" Like we're already in that position. I've had a I had a lot of um, med students at my OB appointments. Um, a couple of my OB appointments were led by med students. Um, and they would come in and they would do the initial questions and talk and blah, 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 and then go out and give the updates to the OB who would come in and then the OB would finish up. It was weird. Um, so now we get back to my, I get back, I get on the gurney. Little do I know that they have this thing like this, it looks like an air mattress kind of thing that they can put underneath you and they inflate it and it just slides over where they need it to be. I'm like, this is wonderful. This is great, especially for people who have sensitive bones, sensitive skin, or who pain easily, you know? 
we get back to the, we go to the uh, delivery, not the delivery room, to the recovery room. Okay, we're doing recovery. And now eventually we go to my actual room. And it's all nurses. <laughs> there are no, all women nurses, no men, no strong bodies. Not that men are strong bodies, but even strong nurses, because they're all standing around trying to figure out how they're going to get me off the gurney onto the bed. And I said, I can do it. And they're like, okay, so how are we going to do this? And I was like, you're going to stand there and watch me. And I'm going to do this because you don't look like you're prepared to do this. And so I had to talk them into letting me transfer myself to the hospital bed. And <laughs> I get halfway off of the gurney, halfway onto the bed, so I'm at the halfway mark. And one of the nurses says, oh, we should just use this thing. Remember the sliding mattress oh, thing? Yeah, that I was it was going to take a reappearance. Well, because I was still laying on it. <laughs> I was still laying on it. I was like, oh, yeah, we could have just done this. Do we want to do this? And I'm like, well, I'm already on the bed now. And that week that I was in the hospital, it was frustrating, to say the least, because you realize that even though you're in a hospital, there's certain departments, maternity ward, they're not used to dealing with disabled people, at least physically disabled people, and it showed. Um, from the nurse who I was trying to get into the wheelchair, uh, or, and she was just adamant about having a help team come in there, the help team ended up being this one strong, this one guy. Um, and I'm like, no, I can do this. I, I, I do this all the time. I'm tough. But you just had surgery. Yes, I did just have surgery. But you also have. I was like, I need to get to the NICU because Bean ended up in NICU because of those problems. Um, I have to get to the NICU and I'm not trying to sit here for 20 minutes waiting for someone to figure out how to get me into the wheelchair. When all that's going to happen is I'm going to end up getting myself into the wheelchair. And I literally had to argue down a nurse. Like, I don't want this. You should listen to me. Your help team is not going to give any help to me. Mm -hmm. I got this. Um, or another nurse who um, on the bed, you know, trying to like change dressings or do whatever. And I'm just like, just listen to me. I know what I'm doing. I know how to move around on my own. All I need you to do is do what I say. And they don't listen very well. And I feel like a lot of that is also the ableism where they think that they know better, even though they've never dealt with you before. Like, um, <laughs> this is what I look like, guys. Um, and even in the NICU, we, Bean had a NICU nurse, um, for the first few days, I forget her name, doesn't matter to me now. Um, and the lactation specialist in NICU called me and said, Hey, come make it down here whenever you can make it down here. Just start pumping. You probably won't get any milk, probably just colostrum. The, the liquid gold, um, you probably just get that for now. And if, even if you did a couple of drops, it's okay. Just send it down here. We can do a swab. He's, he's tiny. His stomach is smaller than a penny. It doesn't matter. 
I'm like, okay. So I'm pumping and I'm pumping every, every three hours I'm pumping and I'm sending what I have, or I'm getting ready to send what I have, which was nothing down. And eventually I started getting like an ounce, like maybe a, a half an ounce, 10 cc's and I'm bringing you down there. And the NICU nurse said, his feeding time is at this time. You need to be here on time, on the dot. And I said, okay, well, I'm a disabled woman and the nurses don't want me doing anything on my own. My entire schedule revolves around their schedule. So I can tell them at 1.30 that I'm ready to go so that I can be here by two. But if they're not there until after, I was like, he's okay. He will be just fine. Well, or, and she called me on the phone. She goes, hey, you need to come down here every three hours. And I said, that's not what the lactation specialist told me. She told me to pump and send it down. Nope, this is what you wanted. You wanted to breastfeed. You didn't want him to have formula. So you need to be here every three hours. It's what you wanted. <laughs> okay. I'm just amazed. Like, I know it's so ignorant of me, but I'm amazed at how hard this is just for anyone and how much harder it is for you. <laughs> And how little they understood that. It got under my skin enough that when one of the um, patient, uh, like, I guess customer service, but that's not her job title, came in. Because it was getting close to me being discharged. So they sent someone around to see how everything is going. And I was like, everything is fine over here. But down there at NICU, this is what's going on. And I, did, I ended up complaining about it. I was going to try to hold off until I got discharged. Yeah. But no, um, I was upset about it. And so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just say something. And the NICU nurse, she was saying, well, you have to be here on time. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm a disabled woman. You have to take that into account. I'm not your other mom. Things take me a little bit longer. Well, then factor that into your time, blah, 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 blah. Um, it was, it was a mess. Um, it was, it was just a mess. At least to me, it was a mess. And that ableism isn't only just saying rude things to people with disabilities. It's also a mind, it's also being, it's also that, that not being considerate of the differences, you know, where person A would have been able to just get up out of their bed and kind of like mosey on down to NICU. I just had surgery and I have to transfer into a wheelchair and get down there and let the nurse know that I'm leaving. And it's a process. Um, but she ended up not being his nurse for the last few days after I made that complaint. So I don't know if she was just on her days off or if they just switched her out. Um, yeah, you, you really begin to, sleep again you really begin (laughs) you really do understand to see how hospitals and medical centers really aren't made for you as a disabled person they're made for the people to take care of isn't it shocking like um when i go to like just my doctor's appointments in my wheelchair there's not even room in the 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 regular rooms like they have to get me into a separate room that like doesn't really exist just to fit my wheelchair like so my ob appointments 
from beginning with the first one until the last one. Um, every time I went in, I had to give a urine sample. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and it should be on my timeline somewhere on Twitter because I definitely posted it. Um, it's time for me to, it's my turn. They give me the cup. They show me the bathroom. The bathroom is the size of a closet. Mm-hmm. And the sink is right up against the toilet and there's no space for a wheelchair. And I said to them, do you not have another bathroom here? She said, no. I'm like, well, this is, she, this is, she goes, well, her answer wasn't, no, there's not another bathroom. Her answer was, well, this is the one for the patients. And I was like, well, if this is the one for the patients, that means there's another bathroom here. And she goes, well, this is the one the patients use. I'm like, okay, but it's not wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. And so I made a big show of, once I was done, I made a big show of me taking camera, uh, taking picture and video. And yep. I made sure they saw me taking video and pictures. And so by the, next, by the end of that appointment, and then when the nurse practitioner was like, oh, is everything okay? And I'm like, you know, this is my OB appointment. You guys are a high-risk clinic. They sent me here because I'm high-risk, because I'm disabled, yet you're not wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. They told me this place was wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, the bathroom, that's the one that we use to, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, there's a bathroom across the hall. And so that's the one that I, I had to go to from there on out. Yeah. Public bathroom across the hall, which was fine with me because it was huge. Um, they didn't even have a scale that I could use. They had to get a scale from another medical practice somewhere down the street. Um, that was a chair that I could transfer into and I can sit in it, but it's a chair scale. Um, yeah, they only had like one or two rooms, two rooms that had the table that can lower. But the first visit, they tried to put me in a regular room where the table was like all the way up here. And I'm just like, how? You tell me how that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, ableism is not taking into consideration a lot of things. And it's not always what people say. It's what they don't consider. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you put me into a room with a regular medical exam table knowing full well that I can't get on that? Yeah. And it's even just like to like the, the horrible medical side of it. It's just moving through the world. There's, you know, restaurants that never once consider whether their tables will be able to accommodate a wheelchair going up to it. I mean, like there's, there's so little that act. And this is even after the ADA passed. We're at what, 30 years now for the ADA? Next year we'll make 30 years. Yes. Yeah. And we're still like, it's still being used as a suggestion, not as a legally binding must do. Right. Um, interesting story. So the year is 2011. <laughs> oh, a kinder, gentler time. Yes. <laughs> not 1989, 2011. And my brother and his husband, they take to, um, and I have a roommate. And so we decide we want to go out. We want to go out. We want to party. So they take me to this place called Paradise. And this is gay bar in Long Beach where I live. And I <laughs> huh? I remember that one. Paradise mm-hmm. on Broadway. And <laughs> so I'm there and it doesn't occur to me that they may not be wheelchair accessible for their restrooms. So I'm enjoying my drinks. Drink, 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 having fun. Yep. No. 
singing along to the music. Oh, look, I had alcohol. I need to use the restroom. So my brother pushes me because at the time I had a manual wheelchair. He escorts me to the restroom area. And my wheelchair doesn't fit through the door. <laughs> but I need to go. So my brother goes get some manager and it's like, what's up? But like, what are we going to do? So they discussed it amongst themselves and they came up. What time where you really need to go to the bathroom? They're discussing this. Well, because my brother's very angry at this point too. Yeah. I'm just saying like your poor thing. Like, you must have been dying to and go to the bathroom. Like, how do you guys not have, how why your door? So like, are you kidding me? And then the manager is like, you know, we don't, People that we don't get many people in wheelchairs. Blah, blah, blah. You don't say. I wonder why they don't get many people with wheelchairs. I tell you, I've only been back <laughs> there like twice, if even. So here, what the, here's the plan. My brother and the manager, both guys, they are going to carry me into the bathroom. And they're going to carry me into the stall. And they're going to sit me on the toilet. Yeah, that seems like full dignity there. Yeah, you know. So my brother goes in there first and he cleans off the toilet. And then, you know, the manager makes sure that no one else comes in, even though they're women. Um, And then they both, you know, my brother's on this side, the manager's on this side. And they lift me and they carry me into the restroom. They carry me into the stall. They sit me on the toilet. We don't even bother to close the stall door. Like, no one else is coming in. Um... So I have to now figure out how to get out of my pants, even though I'm sitting on the toilet, but there's no bars to hold on so I can lift up. My wheelchair is not there that I can lean into because, you know, I have a whole process. I have a, I have a routine. Yep. So now I'm trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? So I get it done. And they listen for the toilet to flush and they come back in. Brother on one side, manager on the other side. They bring me to the sink and hold me over the sink and place me back into my wheelchair. I have an audience at this point. I have an audience. Oh my God. And, wow. <laughs> so I don't go back until my brother's birthday about a year later or several months later. And we go for my brother's birthday and they remembered me. They said, hey, we remember you. Uh, that was so horrible that you had to go through that. If you need to use the restroom, we talked to the bar down the street a few doors down. Um, the Brit, I think it was called. It's called just a few doors down. And it was like, they said that they're fine with you coming in there to use their restroom. And in my head, I'm like, why would I leave one bar to go to another bar to use the restroom? I might as well just stay at that bar. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, thank you. I didn't drink much. Um, Do you want to explain to everyone, like, is, is, I think people think, like, the ADA exists. So if someone's not compliant, you just put in an, a thing and you sue them and everything gets better. Do you okay, want to spell no, it? We have an ADA hotline. You call up the ADA hotline and everything is taken care of and all yeah. is right in the world. No. No, you actually have to pay for your own lawyer. You have to, like, I, I learned this the hard way. Like, you have to go through so much shit to, to put through a claim. Like, you can call the city, and the city usually has someone who, who goes and inspects. Right, because I'm, so, all they can do is just write a note. 
going, you need to fix this. Like, if you right. something so, done, you have to sue, you need to be able to hire a lawyer. Exactly. And pay for that lawyer because a lot of them are working on contingencies because, okay, so the ADA is a federal law. People don't understand this. If it says act, mm-hmm. that means it's a law. And it's like you said, though, people treat it like a suggestion. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, there aren't loopholes, but there are exceptions, exemptions. Um, like this place, the bar that I went to, uh, theoretically, the building and the structure had been there before the ADA had passed. Mm-hmm. And in order to become compliant, they would have had to do major renovation, um, construction for their bathrooms and stuff. Because that's the wall, like, you know, cut into the wall and do this and do that. And that makes them exempt. Um, um, up until the time that they decide to do a major facelift, um, they're exempt. It was the same thing in college. Uh, same thing in college. So, no, you can't just call up, they can't just call the ADA because there's not a number to call. You file a report, probably with the Department of Justice, um, who's in charge of things like that. Um, you can call your city, but they have their own thing, ADA compliance to go through. They have their own thing. But if you're trying to sue under the ADA, it's federal law, so you have to go through the federal government. And yeah, you're right. You have to hire your own attorney. These attorneys are not working on a contingency because unlike people seem to think that you win money and you do not win money, you get an injunction. And all the injunction is saying is you have to become, you have to become compliant. The only money you might get is your, are your attorney fees which a lot of disabled folks aren't going to have in the first place. Um, the disabled folks who are winning actual money rewards, money judgments, they're suing through their state, mm-hmm. which is different because the Americans with Disabilities Act is not a state law. It's a federal law. So on the state level, I might be able to bring in a, a lawsuit and win some money. But on a federal level, no, I just get an injunction. Um, and if I lose, I'm still out of that money. I'm still out of my attorney fees. So some people in our Congress decided they wanted to change the ADA a little bit. They wanted to pass HR 620. Um, if you go on my website, I also have a letter that I wrote to my representative about HR 620, and that will give you some more insight on what it is. But they called it the Americans with Disabilities Something Something and Education Act. And it wasn't an education act. What it was doing was saying, if a place is in violation, the disabled person has to first notify that business that they're violating the ADA. And they have to give that person, a, a, then that person um, has X amount of time to respond to them to that person, to the disabled person's complaint. Just to, just respond. Um, that response can be something like, okay, we're gonna fix it, but that's it. And then um, the business had, was supposed to have some maybe six months or so to make substantial progress, substantial progress on their, on becoming compliant. But 
what is substantial progress? It wasn't defined. Substantial progress can mean putting up a sign that says, hey, we're becoming compliant. Um, HR 620 was a big deal for the disabled community because it put the burden back on us. It put the onus on us. Um, it made it so that we didn't have a remedy under the ADA anymore. Um, and in the meantime, the businesses didn't have a deadline about when they had to be compliant. They only had a deadline of when they had to say they were working on being compliant, mm -hmm. HR 620. And it did pass with some amendments in one branch of the legislature. I think it passed, well, HR, so it was the House. So it did pass through the House with some um, amendments, but it didn't pass through the Senate. Um, I ended up sitting down with my local rep, with my representative in the house. Um, I used to live across the street from his office. So when he came back from DC, I set up a meeting um, because he said, and he, and he said, had you not broke this, broken this down for me, I would have voted for this. Yeah. He goes, and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, we get so many things across our desk. Their assistants, their interns, they see the title, they might skim it, they sum it up. And he goes, on its face, it sounded like something that I should vote for. He goes, but now that you explain what's going on, I can't vote for this. I won't vote for this. And I was very grateful for that because a lot of representatives did vote for it. Democrats voted for it. Well, that's where, you know, we're talking Democrats about- Democrats sponsored it. Like ableism isn't, it's, it's basically ignorance most of the time. And that's, you know, what we discussed earlier, which is, it's not, it's not a, a thing that's like, you're a bad person for being ignorant. It's you have not educated yourself yet. So the, once he was educated and he understood what was going on, he was able to make a better choice. I do have to say that my representative has a good track record when it comes to issues like this. Um, he used to be a psychologist. Uh, so I, I think, that's huh? a whole thing. Yeah, you know, he, he, he used to be a psychologist, so he kind of has some sort of exposure to the disabled community in certain ways, um, especially the mental health community. Um, but yeah, he, it, it, ableism is ignorant, part ignorance, but sometimes it's just straight up open discrimination because you see what's going on with the straw ban. We have been educating people for two years and people are still saying and writing articles and still arguing with us about plastic straws. So would you like to take this time to, because there's probably people who are listening right now who are like, bad, it's just bad. Do you want to educate really quickly on why we need the straws? <laughs> so, Let's get out the way that plastic straws were developed for patients in the hospital, number one. Mm -hmm. Let's just get that out the way. The plastic straws were developed for us. Um, bendy straws, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things that we use now out in the real world were once were developed for hospitals or for at least disabled people like Snuggie. The Snuggie was developed for wheelchair users, you know? Mm -hmm. So the straws, 
a lot of this community need need the straws to survive. Um, it's how they eat and drink. It's how I eat and drink when I'm not able to sit up or hold a cup or something. Um, and yeah, people are going are gonna to say, but there are alternatives. Metal straws that have a slight bend to them. Mm-hmm. That bend is permanent. That bend doesn't go, you know, it's not bendy. It's just bent. But it's also metal. Which- and hot <laughs> liquids in metal? No. Have you ever had mate? So... Also, it can hurt people who have palsy and... <laughs> also, a woman has already died because of a metal straw. She got impaled by one. Um, I don't think it was out here in the U.S. Um, it's so amazing how people will go through, like, every amount of mental and emotional gymnastics to make it an individual's issue to save the planet when no one will go to the corporations that are responsible for 90% of the fishing nets. That's most of the, that's most of us in the ocean right now. Mm -hmm. But yes, these alternatives, and then you have the bamboos, I understand. And then people keep bringing up pasta straws, but that means that people with gluten allergies and other allergies can't use it. And then you say, okay, but you know, you have paper straws. That's nice, but paper straws dissolve. And if there's paper, that means it's going to be, have to be some sort of adhesive. What is made in that adhesive? What are these other alternative things? Make, you know, what are they made of? Because with the disability community also comes a lot of allergies. Guess what's the only thing that works for us? Plastic straws. It would be amazing if people could take all of this, like, energy they seem to have of finger pointing and start pointing it towards corporations I and mean, like just go right to like what's the biggest problem with like this issue right point at the corporations mm-hmm. don't look at the corporations and say this is what you need to do get rid of plastic straws like what starbucks was trying to do um as a matter of fact there they started trying they got the sippy cup lids you know like the baby sippy cup yeah at starbucks now because they wanted to get rid of their straws so they, they change it to sippy lids and i'm just like no number one this uses just as much plastic as the straw but also a lot of us can't use sippy cup lids especially as open as a habit but yeah point to the corporations but also point to yourself do what you can do on your end to save the planet but don't put the burden on other people to follow your lead if it's going to harm a vast amount of people. I mean, it's 20% worldwide, mm-hmm. 25%, 20 to 25% in the United States, globally, a good 20%. It might be a little bit higher now. And the thing is, is like, we don't, one of my friends, she works very um, closely in Kenya. She's there about every four months working on projects. Okay. And I was asking her like, okay, so, I know what my life is like here and I am super privileged. Like I have a motorized wheelchair. I have all of this access and it's not even close to enough. Like I cannot get around San Francisco. I cannot get around Oakland. I there's like, there really is nowhere for me to go. That is not like a new city that's repaved their streets. And I am as privileged as you can get. And so I was like, okay, so explain to me what would my life be like in Kenya outside of the city? in the villages that you're working in, what would my life be like? And she was like, oh, fuck, I didn't, but yeah. 
like, so what you're telling me is someone's just living in a room and they have to rely completely on the ability of their family to make money, to bring them food. They have no access to medicine. They have no access to painkillers. And she's like, I, yes, that's where we are going. with the villages. Yeah. And I'm like, so, you know, like I'm always wanting more people to come in and, and interview on the podcast as I, I like, this is like a really privileged bubble and I feel like it's still really fucking not enough. And I want to hear so much more from world experiences and it just, I wish there's more I could do, but it's I like, I think say, we have to get everyone to understand that like as bad as things are that like there's disabled people who don't even have access to that. Right. And it's important to say that it's not across the whole country, um, but at least in the villages that she's been in. Yeah. Because a lot of, uh, I've noticed, um, I get disability alerts from Google in my email. And I do remember reading a couple of articles. I think it was Kenya. Might have been Kenya. Um, they're trying to pass like their version, or they've already passed it, their version of the ADA, um, however they would call it in their country. Um, but yeah, I was in South Africa in 2003. And again, this is during my super crypt phase. And so I'm in South Africa and I want to go out with my classmates. We were there for study abroad. And we walk over to uh, Caesar's Palace, you know, the casino. They had one by the airport there. So we go over there and we go to the club. It was called Blue Lagoon inside of Caesar's Palace. And hold on. Okay. And um, my friends, two of the guys that I was with, convinced them that they were rappers, famous rappers from the United States. <laughs> convinced them. And so they let one of them get on stage to rap, to freestyle. And two of the other girl classmates got up there and stood on each side like they were his backup dancers. And they got to perform in the club. Like, just randomly said, hey, I'm a rapper from the U.S. I want to perform. <laughs> so they gave him some minutes. And because of that, we were able to go to VIP. I had never been in VIP before. But VIP was upstairs. And there was no elevator. But I really wanted to go to VIP. <laughs> I wanted that treatment. So they carried me up the stairs in my wheelchair. VIP. That was scary. Because it was it was a set of stairs that your foot could slip through the other side because it wasn't, you know, like like you know those stairs that are just like platforms, like there's mm-hmm. no back on them. Your yeah. foot can go through. Okay, it was that. They're carrying me up those stairs. But we got to drink free all night. (laughs) I've had to be like carried down three flights of stairs at a doctor's office that was on the third floor with only one elevator. And the elevator apparently breaks all the time. I didn't know this when I first got there. And they're they're like, we're we're, we're just going to carry you down three flights. I'm like, don't carry me down. I'm terrified. And they did anyway. That's part of like, you know, we can, we can absolutely discuss sometime about like how people will take your wheelchair and start moving. That was part of why I wanted my man, my uh, power wheelchair was that no one could take the handles anymore and start like moving or carrying me. Me too. Oh my God. And then it's also nice not to have like whatever's on the ground is on your hands. If you're using a manual wheelchair, 
I and don't going around cities that is so fucking disgusting. Like <laughs> right, because people pee on the pavement and in a wheelchair don't affect their dogs. In a wheelchair, but, you can't step over that urine puddle. You kind of just have to go through it. And yeah, I don't miss those days at all. No, um, I was going to explain to my husband because he was like, "You don't seem to be paying attention to me when we're out." walking and like because I'm trying not to run over small children and dogs and I'm trying to avoid puddles of things I don't know what it is and like there's like oh, the road that- running like I'm like you know how stressed you are in traffic that's how stressed I am going around in a wheelchair that whole feeling of traffic where someone can just like cut you off or right. like slow on brakes like that's all the time when I'm in my wheelchair <laughs> like, right um yeah so- oh my god you know we've been talking for like two and a half hours <laughs> Stop I'm so sorry. I'm gonna have to cut this because I, we, yeah, I that's the time I'm gonna listen. The stuff that you wanted to touch on, either. Oh, I know, but we, you'll have to come back. We'll just have to do. I do panels all the time with people I adore who just come back on and just like, like hey, I want to talk about this shit because this is like really pissing me off today. And I'm like, great, come on, panel, done. So Why come to the panel. <laughs> all right. I would love that. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate that. I know it's been like a lot of drama trying to like navigate everything but thank you so much That's for talking life, right and give Bean a squeeze I, I'm so like adoring listening to all those little squeaks <laughs> it's been so much fun so if you're listening please head over to our show notes Kiara has a great Twitter feed I will link up her Twitter feed I will link up your website you have website right that's where I read everything globalworkout.com Excellent. There'll be a button right there for you to press if you go to our show notes. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And be kind, be gentle, be a badass. And if you go to my website, don't forget to register the vote. There is a link there on the home page. For the love of everything out there, vote, uh, please. And at least educate yourself on all the issues if you're going to. Please. (laughs) All right.